Well, what's up? And welcome to 2023 with Sweathead. My name is Mark Pollard. Today, we're going to run through some strategist affirmations that you might like to keep on your bedside at night so that you can talk back to that brain of yours as it gets a little bit cheeky and mischievous. I'm also going to give you a little bit of an update about what we're doing at Sweathead and the year that's gone by. 2022 for Sweathead really was about trying to get a system and a team in place. Three years ago, it was just me and often a podcast editor. Before that, it was just me. On January 20 in 2023, we celebrate our five-year anniversary. That is the five-year mark from when we actually set up the Facebook group. And about a month later, we published the first episode of Sweathead, which was an interview with Richard Shotton. I was doing a whole bunch of free speaking gigs up the West Coast. I'm, I'm smiling because I don't do a lot of the free stuff anymore. I've, I have people to feed. But I was doing a whole bunch of speaking talks up the West Coast of the USA in an attempt to try to work out what on earth I wanted to do, having gone independent about six to nine months before that, and decided to get back into recording podcasts. I did radio, for those of you who don't know, I did radio in my early 20s from the age of about 20 to 25. I hosted a radio show in Australia, in Sydney, on 2SCR at the top of UTS, uh, right on Broadway, George Street, near Chinatown, called The Mothership Connection. Every Tuesday, usually from two to four, although I remember a few years where it was 90 minutes, we played our favorite underground hip hop tunes and pretty much anybody who came to Australia to perform came on that show. And from a very young age, I was interviewing people like Ice Cube, De La Soul, Jurassic 5, Black Alicious. I mean, I was 19 or 20 doing some of these interviews. It's a little bit obnoxious, a little bit ambitious, but uh, I loved it. And so Sweathead was really a way for me to reconnect with something that I loved doing, that I had done for five years for free. Community radio was free. And fortunately, a community built around it and we got a little bit of traction. I'm saying we in the initial stages, it was I, but it sounds weird to say I. And through 2022, we've built a little team. So we have about eight to 10 people working with us every week. Nobody's full-time. Everybody's contractors. Some of them are remote freelancers or working uh, with their own companies. Some of them have their own teams. And in 2022, we ended up paying out about 50 people to work with us, including strategists. Because one thing that we're trying to do, we're trying to, is we're trying to work out a way to bring other strategists in to teach strategy and pay them in a way that's equitable. We haven't quite cracked it yet. Like in 2020 or 2021, sorry, when we did our first conference, the Do Together, we paid the speakers 1% of gross revenue. We broke even, we broke even, but we didn't launch anything else for six months. I was still doing a bit of my own, own uh, company training, which was good, but we broke even on six months of effort. Uh, we tried that system. And each time we do things, we are tightening up what we do. We're trying to improve the way that we teach and the way that we bring people in to teach. And we're also learning the economics of things, such as how much does it cost to get a video edited? How much does it cost to get a podcast edited? How long do these things take to put together? How many other people need to be involved with all of this? And it's something that I, I want to talk about, I don't always know if the strategy community is really interested in sort of the entrepreneurial story behind what we're doing but I want to share it because deep down I hope you all get to launch your own things at some point with the brand we have a little tagline it's called strategy with friends here's a little vocaloid sound that I'm playing with strategy with friends strategy with friends strategy with strategy with strategy with friends and here's another strategy with strategy with strategy with friends you might hear these. I'm experimenting a little bit. I'm not sure that I've settled on one of these just yet. And this year, we're going to be talking a lot about this concept 
or this thought of make the most of your mind or for companies, make the most of your minds. The thing that we hear very, very frequently, especially with the companies that I work with is they often feel they've got a good set of people together, but they're just not clicking. They're not on the same page. There's friction. They're using different language. The work's not as good as it could be. And so I feel that this thought of make the most of your mind or make the most of your minds is a nice way to try to solve that particular problem. Having said that, with brand strategy, I also need to use the word strategy as part of the brand. That's a keyword that I'm trying to build associations with. It's pretty obvious. And maybe I actually need to use the word strategy in this overarching theme of make the most of your minds, make the most of your strategic minds. So anyway, that's a little bit about what's happening with the brand. We've got a ton of stuff coming up. I'm about to get into the affirmations. We've just launched new memberships. Go to the Sweathead website. We have starter mode, flight mode, and beast mode. Beast mode is all in. You get access to a four-week accelerator, which I teach, eight masterclasses. We're going to possibly do more than that. All of our online content, we're building out the website. It's super complicated. We've got a team working on it. WordPress, websites, LearnDash, BuddyBoss. We have so many things being integrated with the website. It's quite complicated. But go to the website if you're curious about our memberships. We've got accelerators running for the length of March and October this year. I'll be teaching those. At some point, I wanna work out how to bring other people in to teach them or at least guest teach. We've also got an effectiveness conference happening in April, I believe, WTF. So it's spelled W-T capital E and then two small Fs. Tagline, the effing effectiveness conference and the brief to about eight speakers is going to be blow our minds with one piece of data or one graph. And we're going to create videos for them. They're going to be YouTube worthy. They're going to be fun. And it's going to be super exciting. You'll be able to find out about that on the website in January this month. We're going to do a summer camp, which people can get access to for our starter mode membership, which is only $195 per year, which also gives you access to all the videos, a lot of videos that I've created. The Accelerator gets access to these premium versions of a lot of the videos that I created. We had them all re-edited last year. So there is a little bit of difference in the video quality. The Do Together we're going to do, again, two-day conference, three to four hours per day. That'll be in the back end of the year. Eight masterclasses coming. Andy Nan, who's the co-founder of Lucky Generals, was the UK's 2021 Planner of the Year. Awesome guy. He's going to kick it off in, where are we at? March? February? Late February? I think, yeah, late February. We've got Taha Reyes, who's one of the world's most winning strategists, and he's going to do a masterclass, and the masterclasses go for three hours. They're live. He's going to do a masterclass on the award-winning mindset for a strategist. Aisha Hakim is going to do something on presentations. Rodrigo Maroney, awesome guy, was running the equivalent of the account planning group where APG in Brazil is back in New York at uh, Wonderman Thompson as CSO. He's going to do a whole masterclass on digging into the problem because like me, we both believe that if you don't have a problem, you don't have a strategy, as in strategies point is to solve problems. We're going to have a few other people that we'll announce soon, but also final thing maybe on what we're doing, the Sweathead Get Ahead. It's free. It's two hours, January 20, 12 p.m. to 2 p.m. New York time. We've got Elizabeth Paul, who's the CSO of the Martin Agency. They're crushing it right now. She's going to warm us up. We've got the masterclass people that I mentioned doing case studies, five-minute case studies. So you get to get a taste of them. And that is actually Aisha Kim, who's going to do a talk rather than a case study. We'll tell you a little bit about what's coming up this year. It's free. You can RSVP for free by going to the Sweathead website. 
we're still working out all the confirmation details and the event platform that we use because we've, we've got a license to one called AirMeet. Uh, we also have Zoom and we're just trying to work out which one we're going to do it on because we've already had, I think, six to 700 RSVPs. Okay, that's free, totally free. All right, so that's everything that's going on right now. I'm going to get into the affirmations. So one thing I want to say is was, the podcast has been interesting. You know, 2020, we really spiked uh, you know, we had a ton, thousands of people actually signed up for our summer camp. It was about 4,000 people. Uh, summer camp because I was building 100 classes in 100 days and it was, it was exhausting. And we had a few links or I put a few links up to the podcast and we really spiked. And then I think people started to burn out on podcasts. A lot of other people were launching podcasts and newsletters. It became more competitive. Big international media companies and celebrities are creating all these uh, podcasts and, and other things that all of, all of us little people are competing against. So it has become a more difficult thing to compete with. And, and you come in and out of podcasts, right? Some of you might come in right now and within three months you move on or within a year you'll move on. I know there are quite a few, there are a few hundred people who've stuck with us the whole time and I appreciate you. But one thing I wanted to say about the pod as we've just passed 1.4 million listens is I was really happy to see a couple of the episodes that we did on mental health with Tom James and John Lyons get above average listens. I was really happy because what I've noticed is when I do podcast episodes or even when we put on an events that deal with mental health, gender, identity, including race, that often the numbers are a little bit small and the people who turn up are often the people most affected, but not always the people who can help change the circumstances. So this time of year, because this episode is coming out immediately after I finish it, can be rough for people. December can be rough December into January, sorry, can be rough for people. Financial stress, thinking about lost loved ones, thinking about dreams that you're moving away from, nervousness about holding on to a job, worry about the career that you've chosen, relationship conflict, uh, substance use probably spikes around December. I've not seen numbers on that. From what I understand, I think February is a divorce application month. So there's a lot of stress around this time of year. If you're going through some stuff, go through those episodes, have a listen to other people's stories because most people in the world will be directly or indirectly affected by a pretty significant mental health crisis at some point in their life. And it's worth listening to other people's stories because sometimes that can soothe us and just help us feel that it's not just us because when we spiral into, it's just me, it's just me, what's wrong with me? I'm not built for this world. You know, I'm talking from personal experience. That spiral can be pretty devastating. All right, so... On a lighter note, affirmations for the strategist for the coming year. The first one is this, and this is in the first person. I'll treat every day as a teacher. I think this is really useful. And by the way, these affirmations are not me saying I think like this all the time and I'm perfect. These are the sorts of phrases that I use to talk myself through difficult times. Okay, they're not coming from a sense of perfection. They're coming from a sense of difficulty. Okay, so number one, I'll treat every day as a teacher. The point of this is to focus you on learning from everything that happens to you rather than setting Gollum like treasure eyes on some invented endpoint that will indeed not be an endpoint. There is a difference between outcome goals and process goals, and there's also a difference between playing an infinite game versus a finite game. I think those four concepts are really worth understanding at a young age. Process goals are things largely that you can control. If you want to write a book, you could say to yourself, I'll write a page a day, a hundred words a day, a thousand words a week. 
Okay. Largely, you can control that largely. An outcome goal would be, I want to be a best-selling author on the New York Times list or on the New York Times best-selling authors list. You can't control that. Okay. But focusing on a process goal in which what you do, you turn up every day to do a particular task and you basically treat every day as a teacher will keep you a little bit more sane. The other concepts that go together are playing a finite game versus an infinite game. Companies often play finite games or people in them play finite games, especially in the US where we go quarter by quarter. In other countries, from what I understand, it's pretty common for companies to have like a 25 year or a 50 year plan. That might sound ridiculous to you. I'm pretty sure Japan does that. They're playing a longer game. And that means any little upset in a week or in a month, you just learn from and you move on because you're focused on a much longer term game. We see it in the geopolitical world right now. I mean, even if you look at how Saudi Arabia has recently signed Cristiano Ronaldo, uh, well, through a soccer club, but they've also signed him on to promote the country for the World Cup. That's over a six year. It's probably part of like a, a multi-decade plan, to be honest, to, to change the perception of Saudi Arabia, to get people to visit it, to change their economy. But they're not going quarter to quarter. Many other countries do this, but often in business, we are quarter to quarter. Okay. So number one, I'll treat every day as a teacher. Number two, I'll speak up but not over. We all know hyper-confident strategists and people who dominate other people. A lot of the people that I come across, they're a little bit nervous. They feel like they're in the shadows. Okay, so this year, work out how to speak up. What that doesn't mean is being arrogant and thinking you have to have all the answers in the moment. It also doesn't mean that you try to take up all of the space. You don't want to get too big, too fast and cast a shadow over other people that you could move into the light. So as you gain, especially for the people a bit newer to careers or newer to the strategist role, as you gain a, a sense of authority in your company, make sure you bring other people in, but also make sure that you're verbalizing, speaking what you think is true. I remember when I first moved to the US, I was taken aside by a lovely, a lovely English person that I've interviewed on the podcast, actually, because I'd been a little bit quiet in a couple of meetings. For me, I didn't know how to catch on to the conversation in the meetings. And I, I felt like for two hours, people were talking for the sake of talking. Hi, I'm doing a monologue. Am I talking for the sake of talking? Maybe. But I really didn't know how to grab onto the conversation. And I had the same situation happen at the top of Rockefeller Center when I was head of strategy of an 800 person agency. There was all this talking. I had no idea what people were saying. Honestly, it was just, it was just talking for the sake of it and trying to act submissive to the most powerful person in the room. And I don't play that game. I don't like hierarchy. I don't know if that ended very well, but I was taken aside in my first year and I was, I was told to speak up more. Again, that might come as a surprise. I'm, I'm used to talking on stages. I did a radio show. I'm used to running workshops, but I didn't know how to interject myself into an American style meeting. Okay. So I was mid thirties then. So if you're going through that kind of culture shock, having moved countries, or you're still working out how to find your voice, it's not just you. Okay. So number two, I'll speak up, but not over. Three, I'll enjoy questions more than answers. So one of the things we often have to wean people off is the race to having an answer, to sounding smart. If you found yourself quick to answers, use this year to slow down and ask more questions. Push probe, don't accept first responses. If you've listened to this podcast at all, 
borrow from the questions that I ask. And I don't mean that with any arrogance, but I have literally asked millions of questions to people in public, at least hundreds of thousands. You might have a gentle question and then gradually work out what the person's thinking about a topic. Their first response might sound familiar. You might feel that they're resisting you a little bit or they're dipping a toe in the water. So you say something like, oh, why did that answer come to mind? Or tell me a time that represents the thing that you just said and you get them to dig a little bit deeper and then you dig more and more and more. And again, when we're starting out, often when we're doing research, and, and this affirmation is not just about research and qualitative uh, qualitative research or doing interviews, it's about working with clients as well. But often when we do research, we treat our early years of research, of interview research, as filling in a form on behalf of somebody else. You get your discussion guide ready, you've got 10 to 20 questions, then you interview the person, you ask them the questions literally as they are on the piece of paper, and then you write down their answers. And at some point you get to ask yourself, is that much better than them filling in the answers themselves? It probably is, but it's not getting the most out of that interaction. But with clients, I'll enjoy questions more than answers. If you don't understand what someone said, especially if they're powerful, say, oh, could you clarify that for me, please? Or if you don't have an answer, say, you know what? I'm going to go find out and come back to you. Number four, I'll treat all interactions as creative opportunities. I, I think if you identify as a creative person, if you have needs to express, needs to turn up in the world in unusual ways, then realize this. Every email you send, every workshop you host, every agenda the piece of paper, every agenda you make is an opportunity for you to flex your creative muscles. You could play with words, you could do a little drawing, whatever you're into, whether it's, I don't know, something to do with clay or improv or cooking, put it into what you do. Otherwise, you're just going to be robotic and you're going to wither over the years. Number five, I'll treat everything as a creative constraint. So what that means is if the budget shifts, if the timelines shorten, if you lose a team member, if a crisis happens, cool, just use it, face the issue, put it to work. I don't know if that's what the psychologists would call sublimation, where you put a problem or an issue to work for you in a positive way. It, it could be. I remember when I first entered the planning departments of agencies and we would brief people and there'd be a budget of you know 300,000 Australian dollars. This is going back 16 years or so. I remember hearing creative saying, oh, it's such a small budget. Because back then, to do a really solid TV campaign in Australia, it was at least that, probably wanting to approach seven figures Australian dollars, okay, which would be, so a million Australian dollars right now is about 670,000 US dollars. That, that was the expectation back then that a, a decent budget, production budget would be around there. I'm simplifying things and talking quickly, so I might be mistaken, but that's, that's my memory. Now, I don't know. I'd done events with no money, printed things, put them up on walls at 4 a.m. And, and made things happen, got people together. So I found that really, really difficult to hear that $300,000 was not a lot of money or $150,000 wasn't a lot of money. And for those of you listening to this outside of the US or the UK or Australia where your economies aren't doing that well, you'll also probably be mortified by that kind of thought. And if the budget drops, great, you got $10. Well, what are you going to do with the $10? That's exciting. As long as it's not someone taking advantage, it's exciting. So treat everything as a creative constraint. That's the point. Hey, 
Pull your mind out of those timesheets for a second and take a look at the Sweathead website. We have three membership levels, starter mode, flight mode, and beast mode. They give you access to a variety of strategy masterclasses, conferences, accelerators, and online learning, some of which has been known to make people cry because they like it, they like it, they feel seen. Make the most of your mind this year or any year and visit www.sweathead.com today. Now back to the interview. Do, 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 do. Six, I'll write to get remembered. Use words that don't cheat. They're called pineapple words. Well, I call them pineapple words because that's the word that I remember from the research. Pineapple words don't cheat. They're monogamous. That's because they have few synonyms. Words like this get stuck in our memory like advertising is meant to. The point of advertising is to build memory structures, to get into our minds. The word pineapple is going to get into your mind because it has fewer other meanings. Most of us know it as fruit. When you're doing your presentations, when you're writing your creative briefs, when you're writing your emails, write to get remembered. Preferably choose short words, punchy words. You could use the Hemingway app if you want to edit everything that you do, but write to get remembered. Seven, I'll save some of me for me. We all have phases where we disappear into long pitches and into five years of a career and then we come out the end and maybe other parts of our life are a little bit broken or we've broken ourselves. Maybe we've, we've put on weight, we feel unhealthy, we're sick, we're frustrated, we've got bad, bad habits. So sure, timesheets make the strategist world go around, but if you're always on the clock, then you're never on yourself. So keep some of you aside, write, draw, walk, laugh. I'm not always great at this, but what I've been trying to do through Sweathead, I've been trying to self-actualize to get a little bit fancy through Sweathead and through writing my own books. Uh, And so that's like a rare privilege, right? To be able to create a business through which you can become more of who you want to be. It's harder, perhaps, if you're working for somebody else or for, for another company full-time to do that. But make sure that you have some boundaries. And if you want to work crazy hours for six months, do it. That's fine. That's fine. You'll probably burn out, but do it because you think it's going to get you somewhere that you think that you want to go right now. All right. So here are the affirmations. I'll treat every day as a teacher. I'll speak up, but not over. I'll enjoy questions more than answers. I'll treat all interactions as creative opportunities. I'll treat everything as a creative constraint. I'll write to get remembered. I'll save some of me for me. Now I did put this on Instagram and I thought I wanted to also add a list of first principles that I often find myself talking about. It's not like that these are the only first principles, but they're the first principles that tend to come up most often in my interactions with people. So first principles for strategists to remember, you can find this post over at Mark Pollard. It's also on my LinkedIn. Number one, strategy work is creative work. Why? Creative work is the work of ideas. Ideas bring topics together in new ways. The bringing together of topics in new ways creates new meaning. New meaning creates new value. Nonfiction writers is creative writing. You're helping you see the world differently in a different way from someone who writes fiction, perhaps. Two, strategy is a problem-solving discipline. Look, I think you can have a strategy without a problem, but... If we were working together and said, here's the strategy for this thing, and I didn't know about the project at all, I'd be like, well, what's the problem that we're trying to solve? Because there's an argument that if you don't have a problem to solve, then why do anything? Well, it's to exploit opportunity. Okay, I get that. I get that. But I'd still like to get you to think the strategy is a problem-solving discipline. The challenge with that, and possibly a bit of a red herring with this thought, is that often if you're in an agency, clients might not really think about it like this. They might see you, if you're in an advertising agency, as people who make the advertising. So why are we talking about problems? Just make the ad. Three, strategists hold space for and channel other people. It's like a really big part of the job. 
you would have heard if you listened to interviews last year, uh, many stories of strategy departments really coming to the fore in 2020. There was a survey somewhere as well about how a lot of agencies use strategists to basically shore up agency businesses in 2020 because the strategists had to help their companies work out the outside world with all the different societal and cultural problems that were happening that year. But then also strategists had to help companies understand what was happening within their own walls or within their own virtual walls. And the other part of that is that strategists channel other people. And so when you're starting out, yeah, you can have your answers, have your opinions, I encourage that. But over time, what you're gonna end up doing is when someone asks a question to you or to the group, you're gonna be running through your mind thinking of the 10 people you interviewed, the 50 people you interviewed, the keyword research that you saw, what the social data said. Four, for strategists, insights are creative acts. Personal point of view, you have your own point of view. It really doesn't bother me when people get into these funny little battles about insights. Do you need them? Do you not need them? And do we fetishize insights and all this stuff? Whatever, whatever works for you, okay? But to me, insights are creative acts. To me, an insight is an unspoken human truth. And a creative act is the work of ideas, where ideas bring things together in new ways to create new meaning, and that new meaning creates new value. I'm repeating that, just to be very, very clear. Insights tend to use data. They might use three pieces of data. They might use four quotes. And then there's a little leap, and that leap will appear at some point in writing. It's hopeful. I could understand a more scientific point of view about what an insight is, but that means that we're probably playing with slightly different definitions. So let's just define the word in public so that we can actually discuss what it is. And if our definitions are different, fine. Five, for people, as in for the people in the outside world, insights get them to reorganize their lives at their most powerful. Doesn't mean that your insights in your next creative briefs have to be some highfalutin thing about all of humanity that nobody's ever thought about. Maybe you talk about toilet paper and there's a way that people use toilet paper in one part of the world versus another part of the world. But the insight at its most powerful will get people to reorganize their lives. At the same time, putting an insight into a piece of communication doesn't mean people will change at all, but they might think about it a lot. And so whether an insight actually gets someone to change, because obviously what you're really trying to do is build that memory structure so that in the future, if somebody needs a product like yours from your category that they think of you and then they buy you, that's the goal of it, but insights need to get into the memory and then at their most powerful, they reorganize lives. Six, just remember ideas are lateral thoughts. I've explained that twice already. That's shouting out Edward de Bono who passed away last year. Lateral thoughts, crossing topics that don't usually belong together to create that new meaning to help us see the world and possibly ourselves differently. And seven, I hope you get to see some stand-up comedy this year. I think stand-up comedy is a strategist friend. Stand-up comedians work their butts off to get a five-minute set together. Every phrase is deliberate. It's practiced. It's practiced in public. They use laughs to work out whether the phrasing that they're using is working. All right. So there you go. You got some affirmations and you got some first principles for strategists. Don't forget to sign up to our newsletter. I'm dropping reels on Instagram. Very nervous about putting my face in video on the internet. I've obviously got my face in videos on a bunch of the classes, the video classes that many of you have seen. But if um, you want to see my aging face on Instagram, you can go to my at Mark Pollard. I'm doing a series called Strategy in Threes where I take a question or a prompt and I try to come up with three answers or three ways to look at it. And uh, check out sweathead.com. We've got so much planned this year. And if you're involved with any of it, big thanks to you. We're here to learn. If you're also going to learn with us this year, we're really looking forward to meeting you. We'll see you soon. Peace.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Sweathead. If you enjoyed it, please share it with a friend, subscribe to our newsletter, find us on Instagram or LinkedIn at Sweathead. And if you're interested in finding out about our strategy memberships, company training or books, visit sweathead.com. Whoop, whoop.